Hello and welcome to Texas State Choirs Today. I'm your host, Jonathan Babcock, and I'm here with Mr. Max Mendez, the Director of Choirs at North Idaho College. Uh, he has a career as both conductor and singer. He's been with us here to, today working with our ensembles and teaching in our music education classes. He's been really fantastic. Um, Mr. Mac Mendez, welcome to Texas State. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. As our main audience is undergraduates. So I always like to start off the interview asking about your undergraduate experience. Not only where did you go, but how did it form you? How, how did you, how did it make you who you are today? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, I will say I have a, a very diverse background in under, undergraduate education. Okay. Um, I started at a state school in California. I'm originally from Oakland, California. Um, did not feel a real strong connection to that institution, but found a community college where I found my love and passion of music. Prior to that, most of my music experience was done in church in context of a church choir and, um, and what we might call a pre-Vatican II folk group. And that was, the, that was the extent of my musical background, but it's through the community college where I really picked up the deficiencies that I, that I, that I, that I needed. I needed to strengthen skills and gain more mastery of skills before I transferred to a, a university. Um, and then I went to Cal State Long Beach and oh, I studied, um, I was originally a music ed major, um, switched to vocal performance so I can get one hour lessons instead of half hour lessons, uh -huh. um, found that I really loved the stage. And that was really my calling for um, for my early 20s into my 30s and um, was was bitten by the audition bug and the performing bug. Mm -hmm. So I left that institution early to um, to craft a career as a performer and ended up um, wanting to raise a family, moving uh -huh. to the inland northwest and um, looked for an institution where I could finish my bachelor's degree and then go directly into my master's degree. And that was Eastern Washington University. And that's where I met Dr. Brinkmeyer. Uh -huh. um, she was one of my mentors, one of my graduate conducting t uh, teachers um, on the panel of my master's degree, um, uh, my thesis. And so this has been a nice reunion for you. Absolutely. And um, I, from that, from that experience, I've taken so much from what I've learned from her and my other, my other professors at that college. Uh, one of the things that I really took note of as I was reading your bio and stalking you on Google uh, was that you still maintain a career as a choral conductor and as a singer. And uh, we t discussed a minute ago uh, before we started about how difficult that is to do to maintain your vocal health while you're teaching. How do you manage both? Well, I... Um as a young performer, no was not in my vocabulary. Mm. Um, it's one of those things where you have to take where you don't want to miss out on opportunity. And so I was, I would, I would say yes to a lot of things and I had the energy and the stamina and I wasn't, my musical interests weren't and career wasn't as diverted as it was. Now that I, um, now that I'm, I teach full time on my, in my 17th year at North Idaho college, I really, I'm, I'm really careful on when and how much I take on these days. I see. Um, yeah. My career as a solo performer on the operatic stage or the concert stage becomes less and less um, because my desire 
for to be in the classroom to be in the um, on the podium is is really takes a lot of that attention away but I'm just very careful about what I decide to do and when I decide to do it a lot of my performing may happen outside of the school year oh, um, sure. so I have time to prepare for that so balancing out yeah. your calendar yeah. and really taking stock absolutely of what you're um, doing. I'm also finding I'm also finding a um, that I I'm enjoying singing in what I would say um, semi-professional and professional ensemble opportunities, singing in in um, in higher level higher level choirs where um, where it's a small group and and we we meet for a project oriented um, uh, concert and and descend upon a location and rehearse and then and then sing um, several recording projects. Um, I've had the honor um, to sing with Tim Sharp, um, the, oh, uh, right. the po- uh, uh, he's now no longer the executive director of ACDA, but um, his touring group that, that tours a lot of his compositions, and I've been able to travel the world and record with him. And again, very carefully timed out to make sure that it fits with scheduling. Exactly. And um, so I can devote as much time as I can for my students at, at the institution. You know, I really think it's important for no matter what level you're teaching at, that your job is not the pinnacle of your musical experience, mm-hmm. that you go out and join a community choir or have some kind of musical experience, Be- especially when you're teaching public school. I think hanging your musicality on children isn't healthy. Yeah, I think I think sometimes you um, we we get comfortable at the podium. Um, as I like to say, I'm 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 a perpetual beginner. I like I the like feeling that. of what it is to be a beginner at something. And um, whether it's a new language or a new style of music or a new musical challenge, to go in it with a with a with with a beginner's mind puts you in the place of that first time singer walking into choir or that freshman who is who is who is who is, has done a great job in their ensembles in high school, but taking that next step and and continuing to sing that that vulnerability i think i think being a beginner putting yourself as a as a conductor in those positions to where you can feel like a beginner so important for um for just to build empathy from the podium one of the things you spent uh, quite a bit of time on you, uh, uh, I think you had a sabbatical in the spring of 2019. And there are two topics that you spent quite a bit of time researching, and I'd like to get to both of them. The, f- the first I'd like to talk about is uh, amusia. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a defect in processing sound. Is that the, um, the correct Sound way and to say rhythm. That? Sound and rhythm. Sound yeah. and rhythm. Yeah. And the, um, the interesting thing is it's, it, 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 afflicts a very small amount of our population. I think it's about three or four percent actually have um, a neurological condition or, or a, a congenital condition that, that, that doesn't allow them to process music. Um, when we think about the steps that it takes to replicate one sound, even as a, as a, as a singer, um, there are several um, uh, senses, uh, senses that come into play, your sense of hearing, um, your aural sense, the sense of, of processing, neurologically processing that pitch, and then the physical uh, process of replicating that pitch and then discerning 
that pitch. It's it's daunting when you break it down, and it's something that many of us um, uh, are able to do automatically. But there are some folks that that um, we've all come across those 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 people, students, um, community members that may come and say, "Well, I was told I can't sing." Um, maybe there's a traumatic um, a, a experience for them that has stunted their cognitive growth. Um, I think I think they uh, the studies have shown that about me- age of eight or nine, you you can you have a firmly established sense of pitch. It might not be refined, but you can approximate pitch by hearing it and then and then singing it back. And unfortunately, there are there are some that. That because of the this trauma, maybe a loud noise has 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 has, has disrupted, uh, has caused trauma or an emotional trauma of 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 telling somebody that they can't sing or they have no musical ability has stunted that growth, and um, the and a lot of people identify with with amusia while not actually having it, and I think that's a. Uh, that's something that 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 uh, that quite literally breaks my heart um, mm-hmm. because I I, well, believe, I, I yeah. wanted to ask yeah. you about that. How how do you tell the difference between someone with amusia and someone that just hasn't been taught to match pitch and didn't have that kind of education or exposure? What's what's the difference? I think I think the first difference is is you you um, you go and you seek out medical a medical diagnosis. Um, and 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 make sure that it's it's not a medical condition, and then from there you you um, uh, my my philosophy is love them where they're at, meet them meet them where they're at, and use as use as much as much information as you can get your hands on to help them achieve that um, that that proficiency of gaining pitch, even if it's just matching one pitch, that's a victory, mm-hmm. um, and then from there you go to two. And um, and you can use lots of different ways to do that. I, I studied with a um, with a uh, uh, teacher, uh, Laurel Pumphrey from Southern Idaho, and our Eastern Idaho, and she was she had a she had a very good system of taking students through through this process and um, and helping guide them, even just starting with walking around and listening to sounds and being able to say. Um, discern whether it's a higher pitch or a lower pitch, and using using that that sense in a non musical fashion, um, allowing them to use their tactile sense to feel roughness and smoothness um, to to find pitch, helping mm. them feel vibration by by using their their um, their their sense of of touch to hold somebody's vo- um, larynx um, in and hum and have them and feel, feel the that same vibration allowing them to um, find a vowel shape and 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 allowing them to be able to sustain pitch um, it might not be the you it's not a matter of playing the pitch on the piano and having them having them hum the pitch but having them sustain a pitch and then you match it so they can hear what that unison and feels how like. I, I know it I'm sure it varies a lot but how long does this therapy you know, to I get um, success. I mean, you know, I'm, I, it's probably in, an impossible question. In my voice studio, I have I have worked with some students that 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 it's hasn't taken very long, and I've ha- I've worked with students that this is this is a longer process. Um, it just depends on the individual, and I think the the frequency in which it, in which they work and 
and uh, like we know everyone is different so I, I believe that that it's a it's it's an ongoing process for folks so some for some it can be relatively short and for some it's relatively long I just listened to um, a Donald Brenniger from, uh, from retired from Pasadena City College and he gave a really great um, short short explanation of what he called rainbow ears where sometimes students they're they're hearing not the fundamental but they're hearing the overtones of of, a, of a pitch and so when they're not matching pitch it could be that they're singing something that they hear that that's in the overtone series and mm -hmm. um and several of his strategies of 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 helping students kind of find find that fundamental pitch i'm wondering if there's any resources about this i'm thinking for myself you know i i have a church choir in austin and you know you're always looking for new members and i always have people the, the first thing they say to me is oh you don't want to hear me sing and i answer yes i do mm -hmm. but i i would love to have some resources or resources or something to to go to to say let's see if we can find that voice because mm -hmm. especially with older older people older singers they have a hard time finding where their voice really works yeah and and I would say um, uh, Laurel Pumphrey has a great website and she offers some some courses I don't know if she's offering um, virtual courses on this but um, but she has some really great resources to to help with that she's she is she has been my go-to and I did like I said I went to um, a couple of her workshops and and really gained a lot of information from, from oh, that. Oh, I will definitely check yeah. that out because even the members that I've had for a considerable amount of mm -hmm. time, their voices in, are changing and yeah. and can't find those pitches or hear them. Yeah. I'm more curious about the lack of rhythmic skills. How deep that um, is. I mean, is yeah. this someone's inability to walk in in a because Rhyth rhythm is yeah. everywhere. Every rhythm so is everywhere, and that's one of the one of the things that I I found very interesting, and I was I was perplexed about. And one of the things that I discovered is that yes, sometimes um, we while we walk at a steady pace, we might not realize that it's steady. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And and like you said, rhythm is everywhere, and it's discovering that rhythm is everywhere. Um, we don't think about rhythm when we're walking. Um, in many cases, we just walk. Right. We walk. We walk faster. Um, and and allowing to make those connections with tapping, feeling what that feeling the movement of of of, of a rhythmic pattern, doing a lot of call response. Um, I think people tend with 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 a rhythmic deficiency, we tend to not be familiar with the patterns. Um, and I, I teach ear training in my at my college, and and we do a lot of call response, and then. Once they get the feel of it, they feel, oh, this is a rhythmic pattern. Then we go, okay, what does that look like? And then now where do we see it in the music that we're looking at on every day? And so recognizing patterns in, in rhythm, I think, is, is, is incredibly important. And if somebody hasn't been exposed to this idea that there are patterns in rhythm, in rhythm it's not random, um, I, think, I think that, that could be a maybe hopefully an easier fix for them. In, yeah, in, in, I, in and I'm sense, thinking yeah. for in in an oral skills one class, mm -hmm. even if if a student does doesn't have the disorder, this information mm -hmm. you're talking about yes. certainly could connect to that student. Yes, particularly those that are in their freshman year and have never had any kind of training like yes. that to break it down as you're describing. Yeah. sounds like it yeah. could be really useful. Yeah, call response is your friend because mm -hmm. um, because you can use shorter patterns. 
I, I look at I look at the journey of music, especially at at, um, at the collegiate level, is we're learning we're learning the language in a relatively short time. As infants, we learn how to make sounds. We emulate sounds. Um, whoever our caregivers are as, as, as children, we hear the sounds, we emulate that. We go to school, we hear, uh, we hear um, phonetics, we hear uh, 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 consonant and vowel sounds, we replicate that. Then we learned how to put the patterns together at the end of uh, kindergarten. By Hopefully by the end of kindergarten, you're learning putting three letters together and you can say cat. And by the time you progress into primary grades, you can say a sentence, you can write a sentence, you can write the sentence and you can read it. By the time you get to high school, hopefully you're writing essays and reports, um, long paragraphs, and you understand what you're saying. And in music, sometimes we expect our students to learn to be able to read a novel, a musical novel in their first semester mm. when they're really just learning how to say the words. <laughs> yeah. And, and so so we're on an accelerated pattern. So I think we have to use some of those, those skills, those language skills, that we that were used when we were infants in our infancy, like call response, and then help them recognize the patterns and then show them where it occurs in the music. I think that helps them go towards literacy, especially a rhythmic literacy. Any kind of learning like this does. I always think of language. The best way to start learning a language is when you're five, an infant. Mm -hmm. That is, and the farther you get away from that, the harder it is to learn. A, a language. I'm wondering if, in the same thing, when does age play a factor, and how these skills come back? I'm sure it does. I'm sure. I'm sure you can. Um, I'm sure you can. Um, uh, it's harder for us to learn as we get older. Um, it's harder for me to be a beginner as I get older um, mm -hmm. because because I it takes me a little longer to process um, process information, especially things that I have no relationship with. Um, and so I think as you as as even even in, in your 20s, it takes a little bit more effort um, because you're we're, we're fixed in our bodies. We're fixed in our physicality. Um, we've 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 established some 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 firm methods on how we learn and um, and allowing us to release that and to and to learn in a in a in a, in a brand new way can be very daunting and problematic. Um, but again, like I said, it, going into it as a beginner and, and allowing yourself, yeah, um, a beginner's fail mm. uh, on, on a high frequency and, um, and allowing, allowing our music students to fail. And, isn't that, and, the, isn't and, that the truth? And say, okay, and, and with, 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 with empathy and say, okay, this and is this the, is how you get better. You yeah. have to fail have to a fail. lot mm -hmm. before you get better. Absolutely. And, and so, yeah, it, it just embrace the fail. Yeah, embrace the fail. <laughs> Make you better. And don't let it define you. Mm -hmm. that's, that's there. There will be the eventually. You will. You will be able to do it. And uh, and, 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 keeps, and I'm still striving to do <laughs> things as well. Absolutely. This topic of amusia is, is really fascinating, and I'm really grateful for you bringing it up. I also know you've done a lot of work in body mapping, and I'll be honest with you, I really didn't know much about it before I knew you were, I, we were going to do this interview. And the little bit I read, I, I, I 
have studied Alexander Technique, mm-hmm. and it seems it's a bit similar to Alexander Technique yeah. in terms of, could tell us exactly about body mapping. Absolutely. Body mapping in many ways is an extension of Alexander Technique, it, um, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's what we call a somatic um, uh, discipline, uh, the, the study of movement in context of everyday life, and in my case, music. Um, and uh, it was um, it was actually it was actually developed by um, by two professors at Ohio State, Barbara Conable and Bill Conable, and uh, it was a it was it was a system of allowing people to learn the principles of of F M Alexander through self discovery, through palpation, which means. Um, allowing your 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 sense of touch and your kinesthetic sense to guide you through movement of the body and allow musicians a foundational um a foundational uh setting where they learn the physiological and anatomical truths of the body of how the body works in the act of making music which is in the act of movement which is what musicians do for a living Mm -hmm. move um, whether whether you move your arms to play a trombone or to play a piano or an organ, whether you use structures of breath as a wind instrument or as a singer, um, whether you use your legs, um, your legs as an organist, um, marching band, um, using your bodies and also being able to play, um, play the instrument. One of the things that that was that was through through um, through studies have shown that onwards up up to about about three quarters of professional musicians have or still play in pain or chronic injury and and that's when we look and we compare that to the athletic world the athletic world has infrastructure in place to help players heal Mm -hmm. and give them help them give give them preventative and coaching um, uh, information so that they don't re-injure or the injury doesn't become chronic, and this is a place where that that is not really widely used in in the musician's world. Mm, no. um, I probably probably if we pulled um, a lot of a lot of folks, we they they say yes, I have worked when I was injured, or I've been dealing with this chronic pain, or 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 my my inability to move has led to some limitations on what I can do and what I can't do. I can answer yes to many of those yeah. after after a career of. Conducting, you take a toll on your body. Absolutely, and so it was. And so, as a foundation, wouldn't it be great to learn how our body actually moves? And that's where body mapping comes in. Body mapping is the act of refining those body maps, creating a neurological image of how our body works. So, give me an example. For example, talk about breathing and how that sure, body sure. mapped that. So, I've I have been in ensembles, and and no offense to any anybody I've ever worked with, who have used imagery to demonstrate breathing, mm-hmm. um, uh, a low breath, um, uh, all the way to breathe as though you had a belt of noses. <laughs> yep. All right. So those types. Um, and for every single person in that room, that could be something very different. If we think about a low breath, a low breath can mean, oh, does that mean my lungs are down towards my belt? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how yeah. do I breathe from my how do I breathe from my belt? And so it can cause confusion. But if you if you even some simple some simple instruction about where the lungs are located within in 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 the in the thoracic cavity, 
around the if you if you count your ribs up right about the about the about the about the fifth rib up that's where the lungs end and then we have the diaphragm um, we have ribs that move up and out when we breathe just giving some practical information I traveled here with one of my smaller skeletons um, mm. I, I and I also traveled with some visual aids to show the anatomy of the body um, as humans we all have we all have similar anatomy we may be different shapes and sizes but we have similar anatomy and so that intention building a an intention within the whole a whole ensemble of how our body actually works so take take that to the choral rehearsal mm -hmm. now how how would you introduce that topic of breathing it, it, it rather than using analogies well, how how would you do so address I that might I might in introduce one structure um, one of the things that I did this morning in the choral methods uh, um, classes I took the class through through what we call the six um, points of balance the the AO joint right where the where the uh, occiput and the um, C1 vertebrae meet our arm arm balance we learn where our arm is actually joined to the rest of our skeletal system and it's right here at the sternoclavicular joint um, and and that that was that was um, an epiphany for a lot of students um, because if you ask them to point a lot of times they point at the top of their of their arm yeah yeah and and if you and if you and showing showing a skeleton showing the anatomy um, you'll see and you can feel that the movement starts here for the for the whole arm structure talking about the lumbar spine which is an important part of your balance it's the it's the it's the thickest vertebrae set of vertebrae that allows you the, the best the, the most structure um, where the hip joint is located where the knee joint is located where the ankle joint is located that's a first step and and ask them to explore that in a way that provides them balance and not rigidity and will all, all of a sudden allow them to breathe and you can uh, you can monitor how does that help you how do you are you feeling that you can breathe easier you can refine the maps of the mouth you can refine the maps of the pharynx um, the one that I find very effective is refining the map of the ribs of how the ribs move up and out in a, in inhalation down and in in exhalation and it just gives a, a different a different view of breath um, and you can use metaphor you can use imagery um, for expression tools of expression and, um, and and but everybody is on the same page on how we breathe and I think that's an important part of of body mapping especially in the choral rehearsal room um, you can get to a lot of a lot of other things once those once those structures of breath are cleared up and 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 use um, appropriate anatomical information physiological information that's uh, i i'm one that uses analogies you know when i i i i talk about you know when a trumpet player uh, cracks a note the first thing they'll do is look at their trumpet like the yeah. trumpet did yeah, it. yeah. the, the the voice is so personal and we can't touch any of it yes yeah I, I, so analogies are easy are, ways yeah. to get there although i also hear what you're saying the belt of noses is pretty ambiguous yes yes where do you keep the balance between oversimplification and too much information 
Um, and and that really comes with 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 finding language that refines that body map that gives them the information to form an accurate body map. Um, and and yes, you can go you can go very deep. You can start talking about the fascial system and how that molds our body and and what is fascia. But I think in a in a choral rehearsal room, you can give you can give the singers enough information that they understand how the structure works. Um, so that they can form an accurate body map, and so the movement isn't isn't flawed. Um, that the movement is accurate to where how the body actually works. Um, I think intention is everything, um, and and as long as intention is understood by the whole group, um, having that foundation, yes, you can use you can use imagery and metaphor to help them explain that. But once they have that, once they have that strong body map, the intention becomes becomes apparent and it's just a different metaphor absolutely a more yes. specific more metaphor speci yes absolutely i'm I, i'm going to read more more about it and yeah. find, find out because i've always had that question i'm just the the term diaphragmatic breathing doesn't yeah. make any sense no um <laughs> when we when we when we map where the diaphragm is the 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 diaphragm is uh, sits underneath the lungs and inside oh, almost inside the ribs and it moves it moves from a highly domed position to a domed position it never flattens out and and so and it's it's our it's our way of taking breath in and allowing air to escape air doesn't is not stored in that in that diaphragm and and so understanding even where the diaphragm sits you might have kids who map the diaphragm down near their stomach, near uh -huh. more internal uh -huh. organs. A little higher, it changes the way that they visualize that breath. So just tell us a little bit about your program at North Idaho and tell us about your students and your choirs. Absolutely. Um, North Idaho College is a, um, is a community college that um, has about 3,800 uh, 3, students, 38,000. Okay. Um, so a smaller institution. Um, we have a what I call a full-service music program for anybody who wants to study their first two years in a music program. So um, we have first and second year theory, in oral skills your training we have um, first and second year piano courses group piano classes um, we have ensembles and we have um, applied private lessons and we have a jury system um, at the end of every semester so um, a student could take go their first two years at our institution and then transfer to a, what we'd call a four-year institution mm -hmm. in in the area or anywhere in the country and be able to take the diagnostic tests and things like that to um, to try to get to their junior status in in that program. Um, we have we have I, I currently conduct two traditional choirs, um, a chamber ensemble and a chorale. And the chorale is um, mainly made up of students and community members. Um, I've, I've had some members who have been in the group since the mid seventies, um, mm -hmm. and I have and we have a. Um, we have a thriving homeschool um, uh, community, and so I ha I've had students who are as young as 15 in the groups looking for an artistic outlet, uh, performing arts outlet. Um, I also additionally con uh, conduct a commercial music ensemble 
Um, oh wow! Like a like a rock band, and I saw that I saw that uh, Texas State has a has a has a rock band ensemble, mm-hmm. um, and I don't direct that group. I act more as a co-producer in the group. Um, everybody in the group takes a leadership position in that group. They will have one to two, three songs a semester that they will lead the group through. Um, mm-hmm. We tend to write our own arrangements um, or create our own arrangements. And um, and the vocal component, a lot of times us it'll be student-driven vocal arrangements. Um, they'll write their own arrangements but, to put in there. And that kind of music is really left out of music education. Well, yeah. yeah we don't uh, really talk yeah, about that yeah, too much. I, I believe, uh, well, in, in, in our mission, um, I have a lot of students that, that come in that, that maybe don't want to move on to a, 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 a music program to get their bachelor's degree, but they want to play in a really good band. Or they perhaps want to go and 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 work in the entertainment industry and on cruise ships um, where there's opportunity. There's um, a lot the, of there's opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity there. there, and so and so to create a curriculum where they can take so enough theory where they understand, um, you know, harmonic harmonic language. They understand um, they understand melodic structure, form. Mm-hmm. Um, they also understand how to improvise. Um, not just in a in a, in in jazz, but also in rock, in blues, in soul, in funk, um, and and also understand some basic basic uh, recording techniques um, and 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 production techniques. Um, it's a it's it's a it's it's starting to become a popular program. Um, okay. I take a thematic approach each semester. Um, so in 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 pr- uh, prior uh, semesters, we've taken the Lennon McCartney songbook. Um, as 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 a as a as a as a source of, of repertoire for the semester, this semester is called Reimagine. We're taking songs from one genre or era and trying to fit it into a different another genre or era. And so that takes really researching, find well written, well crafted songs that can that can transcend genre and time, and finding that and so stirring up creativity. Absolutely, and, you know, getting those yeah. muscles functioning. Yeah, my uh, my philosophy for that group is: what if, <laughs> what if we were able to do this? And so Let's I figure see, out yeah, how to do it. <laughs> absolutely, and I see that program hopefully growing in the future. I'd love to add songwriting courses. Um, I'd like to add um, add add more video and audio production to that um, type of curriculum. That's and, fantastic. And, and but you're you, you're a man of many hats, and uh, it's very impressive. I've enjoyed meeting you yeah, today. Thank you. Yeah, I and love I love the community college atmosphere. It gives me the chance to explore all those. Well, I I, I wanted to say that you, earlier you explained that you had such a tremendous experience at a community college that you had that experience. I'm sure informs what you're doing at this community college. Your students must be very lucky to have someone with your perspective. Well, I'm I'm grateful to. Uh, to have to have the opportunity to be able to uh, to serve the institution and also serve my students, I think they they bring me they bring me lots of energy and joy. That's what it's all about, yeah, isn't? It? Absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much, and thank you to all of you who are listening. Uh, this has been Jonathan Babcock and Texas State Choirs today. Keep your eye out for our next episode.